Hi, everybody. My name is Terry, and hi, hi, hi. I'm a grateful compulsive overeater, and I'm really happy to be here today. I'm in California, even though I'm sitting in my living room on Long in Long Island, on Long Island, um, and I have a very love-hate relationship with California because my brother moved back in the early 80s when he was hired at Intel corporation and they told him he was going to move you know he had a three-year opportunity um in los gatos and he moved him and his wife out there and it was only supposed to be three years he has never returned to new york he said when he stayed in california all of his chronic headaches disappeared how can that be? <laughs> How can that be? He loves the lifestyle out there. Um, it, it freaks me out when my nieces consider themselves California girls. <laughs> I want to say, no, you're not. You're New Yorkers. No, they're not. They're from California. And um, so I really feel like I love all of you uh, because my family is out there for many, many years. So my name is Terry. I'm a grateful, grateful compulsive overeater. And yeah, like this reading said, abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. It comes before my husband, comes before my two sons, one who now resides in heaven, the other on earth. Um, it resides over any circumstances in my life because today my sobriety my abstinence has nothing to do with the circumstances in my life abstinence before everything so when I came into the rooms, I'm in the rooms for 48 years. So I came into the rooms when I was 18 years old. I'm 66 years old now. And at the time, I was 157, just a few pounds heavier than I am now. And um, I was 18. And back in 1973, you know, there was not a lot of obesity, um, there was not a, it was not a health crisis back then. So in my graduating class in Smithtown of over 700 kids, I was considered chunky. I wasn't obese. I was chunky. But even being chunky back then, there weren't many girls who were chunky. Many of the girls, my friends, I remember were in their little hip hip huggers and little halter tops with no bra and little bikinis that when they laid on the beach, you could see their hip bones. And um, so I came into OA because I felt like I just needed to get a good diet, lose the weight, and then I would be able to live my life. I was starting my first year of college in 1973. My mother took me to my first OA meeting because a friend took her. They thought they would check it out in Smithtown. She never came back. I stayed. Everybody. I loved everything about Overeaters Anonymous right from the get-go. I loved the fact that there was a God. 
I love the fact that all of the beautiful services, I loved every aspect of it. And guess what? I was willing to do everything you told me to do when I came into these rooms. I gave service. I had a sponsor. I read every week. I shared every week. I made coffee. But guess what? I was not willing to put down the food. Step zero, put down the food. And I was not willing to do that, especially because we used the book Alcoholics Anonymous and the Alcoholic 12 and 12. We didn't have all the OA books we have today. And I was thinking, I am not like an alcoholic. I just like to eat a little. Are you allowed to mention food at this meeting, by the way? Sure. Now, I won't go into exaggerated detail. So every week after the meeting, I would head over on Jericho Turnpike. I'd get six donuts. I would eat them on my way home. And um, before I got in the house, the house was 10 minutes away, not even. I would brush the coconut off and um, uh, brush them off my seat of the car. And I would brush them and I would squeeze the wax bag. They came in at the time and I'd shove it under my car seat. And my mother would say, how did your meeting go, Terry? And I said, oh, mom, it was great. It was great. So very gracefully, I ended up gaining 54 more pounds coming to OA meetings every freaking week. I had a sponsor, a beautiful sponsor. One day she said to me, Terry, how long are you going to maintain your fat? And now, that was a word we used back in the 70s. I heard that word in the 70s in OA. How long are you going to maintain your fat and believe you are working this program? I thought that was very harsh. But I said, oh, Michelle, Michelle, I'm trying. I'm trying. And you know what she said to me? She said very lovingly, you know, Terry, trying may not be good enough when it comes to this disease. That was very scary for me to hear. I felt it was very blunt, but I thank her for that. Because for me, I came in at 157. I listened to the disease voice that said, you're not as bad as all that. You can still have a little of that. Don't give up all that. You just have a little weight problem. And um, I'm glad she said that to me. We talk about our disease, how progressive it is. And I love this in my little 12-step book. In step one, it says, once we honestly examine our histories, 
We can deny it no longer. Our eating and our attitude toward food, and then I wrote in, and life are not normal. I have a disease. And one of my first questions in OA back in the day was they came with a secret desire that one day they would be able to eat again normally. Well, guess what? My normal is compulsive overeating. My normal is to use food as a security blanket. My normal is to make peace at any cost. My normal is not to ruffle feathers. My normal is to frickin' try to fix you while totally neglecting myself. I have a disease of perception. I wrote, I have a disease of self-centeredness. I have a disease of want. I am so busy helping everyone else and getting your acceptance that I am totally neglecting myself, my life, my feelings. That is why I compulsively overate. I did not only have eating issues because say not only eating issues, I also have living issues. I do have eating issues. Even on my most serene day, left to my own devices, I can compulsively overeat unless I commit every morning. And so I do not compulsively overeat. I don't need a tragedy to help me compulsively overeat. My norm is to wake up and eat after 48 years, by the way. Everything was backwards, right? So I've come to understand for me that how they talk about sobriety, which is very different than abstinence. Abstinence. Ten, five more minutes? No, 10 minutes. 10 more. Oh, I saw the both hands too. Thank you. Thank you, Lance. <laughs> um, I consider my sobriety very different than my abstinence. My abstinence is my food plan. For me, my abstinence, I weigh and measure my food. I get on a scale once a week, someone else weighs me. And um, I'm maintaining a 54 pound weight loss for almost 14 years. My sobriety is something very different though. That's the emotional and spiritual part of this program where I have to accept life on life's terms where no matter what, I cannot overeat. And I wrote that my sobriety must have a life of its own. Because my sobriety really does translate on how am I handling my life. I want to tell you that I had, I finally got abstinent with Michelle, you know, after the, you know, this may not work. If you keep trying, trying isn't good enough. And um, I got abstinent and I had a very contented 10 year absent. Cause you're going to say, wait a minute, you're absent in 14 years. You said 
were in the rooms 48. What, what's the story here? What happened? I had five years in the rooms of binging, thinking I was working the program, you know, smile. And they call that in this little book here, fat abstinence, right? It's a form of denial. Um, so I was having that for five years. But thank you, God, I didn't leave the rooms. I had a contented over 10 years of abstinence. I had my children in the abstinence, all that good stuff. And then one day my mother, when my mother passed away, I went to my OA meeting that morning and I said, my mother passed away and we're going to bury her later, but I'm committing not to overeat. But guess what? I took a bite of something. I took a sliver of something at the house afterwards. You know what it is about that for me? Damn it, I wish I could have a little. Somehow something went off. And suddenly, it didn't bite me in the ass that day or that month, but slowly, 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 the weight crept back on. And do you know, after five years of fat abstinence, 10 years of contented abstinence, the weight loss, healthy weight, everything, I, I picked up again. Do you know it took me over eight years to get my abstinence back? And this was everything I knew in the rooms. Everything. I got my abstinence back. Um, so it's been a slow go back. So I want to say at the end of my story, it's a little part of my story now because maybe it'll help somebody, but it helps me. I know today that I don't have to eat no matter what, that it is possible. And it'll be five years, um, December 12th, that my son, my oldest boy, died of complications of um, opioid. You know, my boy, William, he died of not an overdose. He died of malnutrition and dehydration. That's addiction. That's the collateral damage of drug addiction. What is my collateral damage if I don't get well physically? Well, my disease has all kinds of collateral damage that could go wrong with me. I'm telling you. But here's the difference. I had such, at this point, I had, this is a spiritual recovery. It's a spiritual recovery. And because I had the God of my understanding and I worked my ass off for 17 years when he was in the throes of his disease, do you know I did not have to compulsively overeat? Do you know when I went to my psychiatrist when he was retiring after 12 years, I said, so based upon all the patients you saw, how was I in those 12 years? He said, you were very, you were very good. You, you were very good. And I felt like saying, I was very good. Have not you heard me for 12 years? talking about my son? He said, yeah, I heard you talking about him. Your son was in crisis, but you weren't. You had a program of recovery. When he died that day, I have to tell you, I thanked God because I learned very early on that I just don't make a, I don't make a gratitude list in a way for just the good things 
if something bad is happening in my life, okay, make a, make, a, make, make a list of five things you're grateful for. I have a couch here, okay, I have a cute little apartment going here, I have a car, you know, boop, boop, boop. I learned that I had to learn how to be grateful through pain, through crap, through diversity. That is what they were telling me sobriety is. You know, five minutes. I want to tell you one thing if I leave you nothing else today. Do you know what has helped me the most? Gratitude, no matter what. Gratitude in the darkest storm. Not the la-la things that I could be grateful for. Because it even says in this, in this big book, it says, it's okay to stay sober when things are going great. But here's the true test. It does not teach us how to handle our drinking. It teaches us how to handle my sobriety. I could not handle my sobriety if I was not abstinent. And I could not be abstinent if I was not sober. So I tell you that I'm thankful for it all. I'm grateful for my life with William. I'm grateful he found his recovery in heaven. I am grateful I have a recovery. I am grateful that my son's death for today was not enough to make me compulsively overeat. This program challenges me to move forward, not to move on, to move forward. If I am working these 12 steps, I am moving forward. And abstinence is the most important thing in my life, without exception. You have all carried me. I'm meeting some of you for the first time. I don't know you, but you know what? This OA program, you all collectively carry me every day of my life. Because I wake up an addict every day of my life. Do you know that? But guess what? When I, when I surrender for just one day, I go to bed recovered. And then I wake up an addict all over again. So what a beautiful journey this life is. I embrace it all because God handpicked this life for me. So I want to thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come to California and speak to all of you. Thank you.